Welcome, Crosswalk. Happy Sabbath. Good morning, and it's good to be here with you. I first want to thank Pastor Andy for the amazing work he did last week in our sermon. It was so great to hear from you. And I heard from a lot of you as well. Some of you asking how old he was. Well, let's be clear. He has graduated from college, and he's a lot older than he seems. But his wisdom clearly is the wisdom of the ages, because I thought he did just a phenomenal job. So we're looking at how we rearrange our lives as we come out of oppression. And we're using the book of Exodus to take a look at what the children of Israel were doing as they were coming out of Exodus as well, and as they were rearranging their lives. And the particular text that we're dealing with this week is a big chunk, and I understand that. We're taking Exodus 25 through 31, and that's a whole lot, but it all kind of goes under one theme. And what it really sounds like, if you want to know the truth, is an instruction book, and nobody likes instruction books. I mean, I hate following recipes, and I hate following instructions for that matter. And I don't want to, and I don't know if this is like a typically male thing, or if it is just me, but I don't like to follow any directions if I can help it, because when I get something, I figure I can probably work it out. For those of you who the first thing you do, you go to the instruction manual, you figure it out, you spend your time wanting to know how something works exactly and using the most of it and getting the most that you can out of those things, listen, God bless you because you are the people that I call when things do not go well because I only barely know how to use a particular thing. And I think actually GPS has probably helped me, right? Because as GPS gets on your phone or whatever, you have to follow directions a little bit more. And I got to tell you, some of the biggest issues in my marriage have stemmed from this. I think of, we, we had a home in Riverside back in the day, and I was putting in a lamp. And so I put in the lamp. It took me a long time because I wasn't following any directions. I wasn't following any instructions. And so I, I continued to put it together. I finally put it together. I was very proud of myself. I'm not that handy. So I was very proud of myself. And then all of a sudden, my wife walks in. And she, the first thing she says, she looks up and she goes, oh, you put that in backwards. And I may have lost it a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I was not happy about it. I was frustrated that she was making me do it over again. I thought it was fine. So I had to take everything down and start it again. Now, she's not the bad person in the story. The bad person in the story is me because I didn't follow directions. I think a lot of people feel the same way that I do, which is a shame when it comes to these texts mostly because they are pretty detailed in their description of what needs to be done. And so we don't read these texts at all because there's a whole lot of things that there are particular instructions for. Now, let me ask you this question before we get started. Have you ever lost the forest for the trees? And what I mean is that when we look at these texts, there are so many little trees, so many little instructions, so many little directions that it's easy for us to get lost in the minutia rather than falling in love with the purpose of these texts to begin with. And I got to tell you the truth. I've heard some preachers spend multiple, multiple weeks, months, years preaching about the minutia of these texts. Now, there's probably nothing wrong with that. However, it's so easy to get lost into the minutia. And this is what most people do when it comes to the idea of the tabernacle that we see in ancient Israel, this movable tabernacle that they were able to move all throughout the Sinai Peninsula. Now, I know some of us from our particular faith tradition, from the Seventh-day Adventist tradition, have probably in encountered the tabernacle, even a life-size tabernacle, showing up in your town. And I'm not going to lie, it sometimes gets a little weird. 
right? We don't love the tabernacle, or we probably shouldn't fall in love with the tabernacle, although we do love the tabernacle. Our faith tradition has a long history of falling in love with every aspect of the tabernacle. We exegete these texts to find out what every single thing meant. But my question is, do we love it for the right reasons? But maybe we have to ask a question before that. Maybe we have to ask the question of why did God put all this detail in there? Why is it that God wants things just so? I mean, is God just super OCD? Does he have obsessive compulsive disorder? And if we don't do things exactly the right way, he's going to be upset? And I mean that with respect, all right? Does God simply have to have things a certain way? And we know that these things in the tabernacle all represented something. But why did God need to have such detailed instructions? Does it even matter? I will say this, and I hope you understand where this is coming from. When God asks us for something, it behooves us to give it to him. God asks for some big things in our lives, but when he asks for things in particular, it makes sense that we would give those things to him in the way that he would like them. I mean, when, when someone asks you to bring chocolate ice cream to a party, do you bring vanilla? If the relationship matters to you, you don't bring vanilla, you bring chocolate. And I know that's silly, but let's jump into the text and maybe we'll understand things a little bit more. Exodus 25, verse 1, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The Lord said to Moses, so we've got some direct quotes here, so let's listen. Tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings, accept the contributions from all of those hearts, from all whose hearts are moved to offer them. God is making offering calls, but again, Offering calls should come from the hearts of those who have been moved. And then he says, here's a list of the sacred offerings, right, gold, silver, and bronze. It's like this itemized list of the things that God will accept and what God can use. He continues on, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat hair for cloth. You can bring all this stuff too to us if you want to. Tanned ram skins, don't know what we do with those. And fine goat skin leather, acacia wood. I'm okay with the acacia wood. I'm not sure what I would do with the fine goat skin leather. Olive oil for the lamps. And my parents have a collection of ancient lamps from the Middle East. Olive oil comes in incredibly handy. You can still light a wick with olive oil. And the fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priest's chest piece. So he'll basically take anything of value that will allow the work of God to continue. However, it's not just to enrich himself, right? God doesn't need our riches. Rather, he would have a reason. And he says it in Exodus 25, verse 8. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. Now let's not move from this too quickly because this is not just another phrase. This is the most important text of all the chapters of the tabernacle buildings and instructions. Build me a sanctuary so I can live among them. Why is this the most important text? Because it gives us reason to build the tabernacle at all. Have you ever heard the phrase, it's the thought that counts? I'm sure you have, right? We've all heard that phrase. Usually we use it when we don't bring a gift to someone and we go, oh, I meant to. And you go, oh, well, it's a thought that counts. So, you know, whatever. Or when the gift is really bad and you don't like it too much and you go, well, you know, they tried. It's a thought that counts. Um, But this phrase, it's the thought that counts, means that sometimes the reason is greater than the action that you receive. 
If we're going to do something for God, we should do it with our whole heart, with everything that we are, to the best of our ability. Right? That's why these detailed instructions are kind of important, and they're great for the children of Israel to follow along to do exactly what God wants to do. But let's not be fooled. The most important part of all these texts, and it comes right here at the beginning, between chapters 25 and 31, it comes right here at the beginning, chapter 25, verse 8, where it says God wants to be with us. And we can put an exclamation point on that because that is the most important thing. God wants to be with his people. God, who resides in a place wholly other than where we are, wants to be with us. And I can't think of a greater reason to build a house, a church, a tabernacle, a sanctuary, or even a hole. Wherever God wants to be, that's where I want to be. If God wants to be with us, we should get about that business immediately, however he wants it to be. I mean, have you ever had someone who loves being with you? I got to tell you, it's the best thing in the world. I remember when my kids were little and I would come home and they were so excited that dad came home and they would run up to me and they would hug me. Now the only one who does that is my dog. She is still very excited when I get home. The rest of them, well, they don't even look up from a video game or the Zoom meeting that they're on or their phone. I mean, I still think they like to have me around, but it's not the same sort of excitement God, in all his wisdom, in all his greatness, in all his power, his glory, his understanding, he says, listen, the most important thing is that I want to be with you. So I want you to build me a place. And there are a lot of instructions to that place. In fact, there's so many of those instructions that we see in verse 31 that he actually reiterates all the, all the detailed instructions. And he even tells people, he even tells them that there's craftsmen that he has chosen to do this. What are they? We're not going to read them all here, obviously. That's way too many verses. But in Exodus 31, he gives a list. He says, listen, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the cover on the Ark of the Covenant, the place of atonement, all the furnishings of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstands with all its accessories, the incense altar, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils as well, the wash base and the stand, the beautifully stitched garments, the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons to wear as they minister as priests as well, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense for the holy place. The craftsmen must make everything as I have commanded you. That's a long list. It's a long list of things that we're supposed to do in a very particular way so that, why? So that God may be comfortable with us? I don't even know if God even needed those things, but God wanted a reciprocal relationship. He wants to be with us. If we want to be with him, maybe we should do those things that he's asking us to do because that makes him the most comfortable and will ultimately make us the most comfortable as well. But let's not get lost in the forest. as you study. And I, and I encourage you to study these six chapters, even though they're not going to be very exciting for you. I encourage you to study them, but not to forget the overarching reason for the tabernacle in the first place. It's for one reason. It is for God with us. It is for Emmanuel. 
God decided to condescend to come down to earth to be with his people. He decided to stay with them throughout time and eternity with the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? We see God present in the incarnation through Jesus. We see God seeking constantly to be with his people, to be with us. And that's important, but I gotta tell you, we have spent so much time trying to figure out what every single utensil in the tabernacle is for and what it means that we have lost the meaning of this place. Well, we wanna get it right, right? We wanna be people who get right exactly what God wanted, not just so that we give it to God so that we're right in the way that we do. We gotta be careful with that. Listen, the reason is more important than the action. God wants to be with us. So yeah, of course, let's do the thing that he asked us to do. But we can translate this to our Christian lives as well. Even though we're talking about the Old Testament tabernacle, don't fall in love with the way the tabernacle is. If you do, you diminish God into just a room or a place where he might move. And we have done this when we're not careful with understanding the reason that the tabernacle exists at all. God wants to be with us. And by the way, it's not relegated to just a tent. It's not relegated to some sort, of, some sort of physical space anymore. And that's the exciting part. When Jesus came down, when he incarnated, when he became in the flesh, he also told us that he would have to leave so that his witness with us could be universal. That's why he leaves us the Holy Spirit. So now the tabernacle is not a place. It's not a tent that you put up. It's not the way the lampstands look. It's not the way things are supposed to be. Now, the tabernacle that God has left us is the tabernacle of our hearts. The way that we invest in the world, the way that we view the world, the way that we allow God to come into our hearts. When we do this, we are living tabernacles for Jesus. And the withness, the God with us, is something that we take with us wherever we go. So in this way, we don't go to church. We don't go to meet God. God has already come to meet us and we live in the presence of God. Think about that. Think about the fact that when the tabernacle was built and the Israelites finally saw it, they were like, man, that's amazing. God is in there. And some days I'm gonna go in there too. Now we don't say that. Now what we say is God is with us. He's in our hearts and I wake up with him and I go to sleep with him. Every interaction that I have is God breathed and God given because the Holy Spirit couldn't be contained in a tent. It couldn't be contained in a temple. The only place it can be contained is the universe. And as we express who God is, the universe is more and more filled with the presence of God. Oh, you can spend the next 15 years, if you'd like, studying every aspect of the tabernacle. And that might be efficacious for you. It might grow you closer to God. But I'll tell you what I'd rather do. Rather than spending every single time measuring out how long things were supposed to be and how every utensil was supposed to be placed, what I'm more interested in is I'm more interested in making sure that not only my, my body is a temple of God or my heart is filled with the presence of God, but the places that I inhabit become tabernacles for God. The buildings that I reside in, the home that I live in, the office where I work, the supermarket where I buy my groceries, the gas station where I buy my petrol for my car. I want those places to be filled with the Holy Spirit, just like the sanctuary in the tabernacle was filled with the Holy Spirit, was filled with God's presence in the story of the Exodus. And do I want it to be beautiful? Yeah. 
Do I want it to be amazing and done well? Everything that I do, absolutely. But excellence is not just in the things that we make for God. Excellence is in the way that we live for God, in the presence that we express for God in the world. Oh, you see, this is the beauty of this transition from the Old Testament understanding of where God is to the New Testament understanding of who God is. The difference is that God cannot be contained. The difference is that we are not relegated to a place to find his presence, but we become a people of the presence of God in everything that we do. Is this a worthwhile story to even go through? Yeah, absolutely. I got no problem with the idea of the tabernacle. I've got no problem with the idea of the particularity of every single thing within the tabernacle, God wanting it in a certain way. No problem. I don't have a problem with that. But I also, I also don't want to be stuck in an Old Testament view of God. Because I want to live I want to live after the crucifixion. I want to live after the resurrection. I want to live in the ascension of God, where God inhabits heaven, where God inhabits the earth, where God is everywhere and God is within us as well. Not that we are little gods ourselves, but that we become the tabernacle of God. So I won't spend 15 years making sure everything is perfect in the tabernacle of my heart, what I will do is spend every waking moment for the rest of my life seeking to be the best expression of Jesus that there can be in the world. And that's what I want to invite you to today as well. And see, that's a rearrangement of our priorities because we've been worried about how we're gonna survive, how we're gonna make it through. How about this? We begin to think about how God is gonna help us thrive into this new reality that we're living into. How God is going to move us to be the, the influencers of this new life that we're gonna lead, this life that we're coming out of this oppression. How are we gonna be the ones that inform the way the world works? Because we have left it for too long to other people who don't express the presence of God. Now it's time for us to move in. And I want to tell you this, it's not about trying to control somebody else's behavior. What it's about is trying to express the presence of God through our lives. There's this song, right? Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. I never really liked that song that much. I still don't know that I like singing it. But what I do like is the idea that people will see God in the sanctuary of my life. And so I want it to be perfect. That doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't mean the perfect that you think. I want it to be the best expression of God that I can create. And that means there's gotta be more love. It means there's gotta be more compassion. It means there's gotta be more justice. It means there's gotta be more mercy in my life in the way that I live my life. There's gotta be more equity in the way that I take care of people in the way that I think about people. There's gotta be a truth and a reality of, of my flat spots, understanding what they are, surrounding myself with people who will hold me accountable and also growing with them every single day. I've got to be deeply invested in the word of God so I understand who he is, so I understand what it is that I'm expressing to the world. And lastly, I have to be deeply invested in the relationship that I have with God, which means I pray without ceasing. It means that I listen more than I speak at times. 
I think God has prepared us to be sanctuaries. He has prepared us to be tabernacles. But not the kind that you fold up at the end of the day and move to the next town. The kind that creates a garden of his presence in our lives. That's what I believe these texts speak to, even though they seem really technical. My hope is that we don't get lost in the forest for the trees, but we remember the expansiveness of God's presence. Let's bow our heads. God of grace, God of mercy, God of the sanctuary, yeah, God of the tabernacle, come and live within me. But Lord, don't don't relegate yourself to just my heart. Explode forth from my life to the lives of others, that they may see you, that they may experience you, that they may grow to be tabernacles in their own lives as well. And Lord, as imperfect as we may be, move into our holy place so that we always understand that your presence is real in our lives. We pray these things in your holy name, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We pray these things. Amen.